The fifth of the Dibros, of course, is Kibur Ava'im, the mitzvah to honor one's parents. The Pasuk says, One of the very few mitzvahs in which the Torah promises reward in the te- text itself, a, mitzvah, a reward of long life, which is understood as long life in the world to come. This mitzvah of Kibur Ava'im is given heightened importance in the words of Chazal. Just to take one example, the Medrash Tanchuma tells us that Kibarav Aim honoring parents is Chamura Sheba Chamuros. It's of the most most severe mitzvos. And uh, uncharacteristically, both the Tur and the Shochan Aruch, which are halachic works, begin their discussion of Kibarav Aim with the introductory phrase, Tzarech Lizaher Ma'od, B'chvod Aviv V'imo U'b'mora'am. The Kibar Aim, as well as the corollary of Mora, of fearing your parents, which we will not be discussing, but even Kibar Aim is something that everyone, every child has to be careful about. Ma'od, be extra special careful in Kibar Aim. This is not something that you typically would see in the works of the Shulchan Aruch or the Tour, a little musr, a little extra oomph about how important a mitzvah is. So we see how important Kibar Aim is. Why should that be? So the answer seems clear, because of the Gemara and uh, specifically in the end of the first parak of Masechet Kiddushin, and a number of different statements compares honoring one's parents with honoring Hashem. Just to give one example from the Pasuk that we began with, the Gemara compares the term from the Ten Commandments, from the Asar Sedibros, with the Pasuk in Proverbs and Mishlei, that we are both told to honor Kabed Hashem and honor Kabed our parents. And the association of that word uh, teaches us There's a comparison between when you honor your parents and honoring Hashem. And the Gemara gives a number of other examples. When you have fear of your parents, it's like fear of Hashem. If God forbid you would curse your parents, that'd be as bad as cursing Hashem. And then the Gemara tells us, in fact, that uh, this is all based on the notion that, in fact, Hashem is one of your parents. There's actually three partners in every child. There's the two primary partners, the husband and the wife, the father and the mother. But there's also Hashem, and without that third partner, there would be no child. And therefore, Hashem is, so to speak, in the mitzvah, even more than uh, any other mitzvahs. To the extent that the Gemara says, it, so to speak, uh, anthropomorphically putting the words into God's mouth, that if Hashem sees a person honoring his or her parents, God says, It's as if I'm living in the house, and they're honoring me. And of course, the Gemara says the opposite, that if you are being disrespectful to your parents, then it's as if you are being disrespectful and giving pain to Hashem. This is, until now, I would say, agadic, philosophical, homiletic. There's an idea of uh, when you honor your parents, you're also honoring Hashem. question is whether we could go further than this and say this is actually a halachic uh, point as well. What I mean to say is as follows. What kind of mitzvah is kibarav aim? Now, on the one hand, it seems to be a perfect example of a mitzvah, ben arm l'chaveiro, an interpersonal mitzvah. After all, your parents are human, you're human, interpersonal. And in fact, there are a number of sources that indicate this. The Rambam and his commentary to the Mishnah is explicit that kibrav aim is a mitzvah, ben adam l'chaveiro. Moreover, the most common explanation for why we have to have kibrav aim is hakara satov, is to be have gratitude, to be grateful to our parents. Again, a classic value that would be indication, indica, indicative of this being a mitzvah, ben adam l'chaveiro, an interpersonal mitzvah. The Yerushalmi refers to kibrav aim as a 
debt being repaid, priyas chov. Again, debt repayment is also a mitzvah ben adam lechaveiro. This is all intuitive and it makes sense. However, there is a very, very famous comment of the Ramban here on the Aserasa Dibros, on the Aserasa Dibros, where the Ramban notes, he's not the only one, but he's the most famous one, he notes the position of Kibrav Aim on the Dibros, on the tablets. And the Ramban assumes, like many, that the, the Dibros are separated on the right side and the left, the right side being Ben Ram Lamakom, and the left side being Ben Ram Lechavero. If that's the case, there are five Ben Ram Lechavero on the left. What about on the right? So we've seen until now four mitzvot ben Lamakom, believing in God, idolatry, not taking God's name in vain, and Shabbos. What about Kibbut Aim? It's on the right side of the tablets. This indicates, says the Ramban, that in fact there's an element of Kibbut Aim, which is in fact Bein Adam Le Makom. Based on this idea, as we just saw from the Gemara, that when you honor your parents, it's as if you're honoring Hashem. The Ramban says this strikingly and explicitly. Kikabir Savicha is Kibur Hakel. It's honoring Hashem. Really, that's an integral part of the mitzvah. You're honoring Hashem when you honor your parents. And in fact, in fact, at least some poskim in certain contexts, most, most famously the Mincha Chinuch, understand that not just homiletically, not just agadically, not just philosophically, but even strictly halachically speaking, Kibrav Aim could be categorized as a mitzvah, Ben Adam Lamakom. That's how central the divine element of Kibrav Aim might be. They say, what does it matter? I have to do Kibrav Aim regardless. So there would be a big nafkeminicism in Chaschinuch. If, God forbid, I violate Kibrav Aim, and who among us hasn't? It's a very challenging mitzvah. Nevertheless, when you do tshuva, how, what is the process of repentance? If it's a benam l'makom, then all you have to do is make your peace with Hashem. But if it's a mitzvah benam l'chavero, it's not enough to just regret it in shul on Yom Kippur, but you also have to apologize to your parents. That's a big nafkamina. The Minchasino says, in fact, it would be a machlokes. Let's turn our attention as quickly as we can to the scope of the mitzvah. There is so, so much to say. The idea of limiting Kippur aim to 10, 11 minutes is just impossibly difficult for me. There's so much to say. But nevertheless, let's divide up the last few minutes that we have into the following few points. What is the scope? What is included in the mitzvah? So number one, the Gemara says that the basic mitzvah is providing for your parents' physical needs. The Gemara gives examples when your parents need help eating or drinking, if your parents would need help going and coming, getting dressed. All of those are part of the mitzvah of kibud. But it's not enough to just do these things for your parents. Based on the Gemara, the Shacharach rules that you must do these things for your parents. You have to have a good attitude while you're doing it. <laughs> this has not been so simple for children throughout the millennia. Not only to serve your parents and listen to them, but to do it with a good attitude. Rav Palm makes the point, and oh, and I remember when I first read this, oh, did this hit home hard, both when I, as, for me as a child and for me as a parent. It says, typically, kids, when, or, or at least not typically, but often, if not typically, when a parent asks them to do something, often the response is, but why don't you ever ask? And of course, they're thinking of their brother or their sister. How come you're always asking me? They may do what you ask them to do, but they do it with an attitude. Sometimes it's verbalized, sometimes you just see it on their face. Sedrapam, this is the direct violation of the Shachanach, direct violation of the Gemara. It's not enough to just listen to your parent, you have to do it with a bad attitude, with a good attitude. If you do it with a bad attitude, you've totally lost the entire mitzvah. 
Moreover, Rabbeinu Yonah says what we see from this, the idea that it's not enough to just do the mitzvah, but it's the attitude you do the mitzvah with, Rabbeinu Yonah, the Rabbeinu Yonah, one of the greatest Rishonim, in his letter of tshuva, his Igeras tshuva, he says that the Iker Kibud is giving your parents nachas. I think on some level, a lot of people intuitively feel this way. Certainly <laughs> a lot of parents feel this way, that they want to get nachas from their children. But I am not aware, and if anyone is aware, please uh, write to me directly. I am not aware of any other source, and so, you know, earlier source, that says this explicitly in a halachic context. But in this famous letter, the Iger Sachuva, none other than Rabbeinu Yonah says, Iker HaKibud is giving your parents nachas. And he learns this from this other din, which is in the Gemara, that you have to serve your parents in their physical needs, but do so with a good attitude. That is point number one. Kibud bamasa, the physical things, the actions you need to do for your parents. Number two, the Gemara says, and the Medrash says, this idea of kibud bedibor, the way we speak to or about our parents, is also part of the mitzvah. Mechilta says, in general, speak benacha, soft language, speak respectfully. Um, that is part of the uh, mitzvah. I'll just mention briefly something very fascinating that the Orach HaShulchan and the Chasam Sofer both point out, if there's an idea of honoring our parents with speech, one might have thought that you should speak to your parents in the third person. Well, like we know, there is an idea by rabbis and Tamil Chachamim. Would the rabbi want this? Does the Rosh Hashiva want this? Speaking in the third person. So if there's an idea of honoring your parents, maybe you should also say, would Abba want this? Would Ima want this? Would Mommy want this? Says the Archa Shulchan and the Chasam Sofer, both to the Gedoli Achronim, no! Not only is it mutter to speak to your parents in the second person, not calling them by their first name, but would you want this? Or I love you. Or Mommy, what do you want? Or can I get this for you? Thank you. Not only is that allowed, says the Archa Shulchan, says the Chasam Sofer, it's a sign of closeness with parents. It would be weird and frankly sad if there was a level of distance that would be implied by always referring to your parents in the third person. We want, on the one hand, to have respect. On the other hand, there should be a normal, intimate relationship between parents and children, which would be impossible if we spoke to them in the third person. So says our Choshulchan and the Chasam Sofer. And last but not least, there is an incredible third dimension to keep it aim. It's not only an important mitzvah, but it's a complex mitzvah with many facets. We already saw in action, indeed, honor your parents. Kibud ba'amaseh. We just spoke now about the way you speak about your parents. Kibud b'dibur. There's also a third element called kibud b'machshava. What does that mean in, our, in my mind, in my heart, to have honor of my parents? So the Sefer HaCharedim, a contemporary of Yosef Karo from Tzfat, and this is Paskin in the Chaye Odom, both say that in your heart of hearts, you have to truly, truly respect your parents. It's called Kibur Aim, respect your parents. And even though the Gemara just speaks about providing for your parents and their physical needs, says the Chayodim, based on the Charedim, if you provide for their physical needs, but in your heart of hearts you have no respect for them, that's not really hypocritical, that's not the mitzvah. The mitzvah is out of a sense of true and genuine respect to do the physical things for them. But the main thing is that genuine respect that you have to have for them. And then the Charedim and the Chayodim pass this way, they go further and they say, you have to think of your parents as being amazing, you have to think of them as being the best in the world. Right? Every kid thinks, you know, when they're younger, my mommy or my daddy is the best. This is brought down lahalacha by the Chayodim. And Rechaim Shmulevitz in Asichos Musr says, I remember as a child, my father trying to figure out ways to say how his father, my grandfather, was the best. And says Rechaim Shmulevitz, when I was younger, I thought this was a little bit too far-fetched. And then I came across this Chayodim, I came across this Haredim, and I understood that that was the case. Rav Palm in his Atar says, but how could it be? How could they pask and how could they mechaiv me to think my mom is the best, my father is the best? 
What if they're not the best? <laughs> not everyone is famous, not everyone is super impressive. They might be nice people, but how can you say they're the best? So says Rapam so beautifully, you have to realize that every, there's no one in life who doesn't have the thing, one thing that they're really great at. That doesn't have one moment in their life where they really rose to the occasion and did something great. Everyone has something that they can excel at. Everyone has something and has a moment where they've done really special and remarkable things. And the chiv on the child, even if in general your parent is a average, so to speak, person in the eyes of the world. But the chiv of the child is to focus on whatever aspect of the parent's life or personality that was truly great and use that as their focal point so that their overall attitude toward their parent is that yes, my parent is super special and very, very impressive. Last but not least, is there a mitzvah to love your parents? Wow, this could give a whole sheer just on this. But very briefly, again the charedim, again the chayadim paskin, yes, you must love your parents. They give a number of reasons for that, but I'll say maybe the best compelling reason is alludes to something we said before. We mentioned at the outset of this year that there are post-Kimurites from the Gemara and Yerushalmi that honoring your parents is repaying a debt. Pira'on chov. So says the Chayodam, says the Charedim, you're just like everything your parents do for you, you have to try to repay them in kind. Well, if your parents loved you, and hopefully they did, then you owe them in a, in a, uh, in a you know, in reverse, you owe them a pirachov, just like they loved you, you must love, love them. There are sources that do indicate that that's not part of the mitzvah, and I'll end with the following idea from Rav Yashiv. Rav Yashiv was brought down, if I remember correctly, I think I first saw this uh, from his son-in-law, from Rav Zilberstein, uh, but I definitely saw this from the name of Rav Yashiv, that he thought it's not 100% clear if love is part of the formal mitzvah of Kibar Ava'im, even though the Charedim and the Chayadim think it is, but others may indicate it's not. But says Rav Yashev, even if it's not officially part of Kibar Ava'im to love your parents, it's clear, says Rav Yashev, that the Torah thinks it's appropriate for a child to love his or her parents. And even if the Torah didn't command it explicitly, and it did not command it explicitly, but it is a mitzvah, it may not be a chiv, I guess you would say, according to Rav Yashev, but it would be a kiyam to love our parents. The sixth Dibra is Lo Sirtzach, the Avera, the Isser of murder. Interestingly, before we get to the specifics of murder, the Psikta uh, frames the one of the unique aspects of the entire second half of the Dibros, the second tablet, which we are beginning now, with a conversation that took place between the Roman Emperor Hadrian and the famous Tana Rabbi Shua ben Hananiah. Apparently, in the retelling of the Medrash, the Roman emperor was aware that unlike the first tablet, the first five Dibros, in which Hashem's name is mentioned multiple times, in the second uh, tablet, in the second set of uh, uh, Luchos, in the second uh, group, five, six through ten, starting now with murder, you don't have any reference to Hashem's name. So, why is that? So, the Medrash explains that Rabbi Yeshua answered him by walking around with him, and showing in the various places of his uh, empire, in this capital city where they were, there were many different statues and pictures and tributes to the Roman emperor in all sorts of places. But in the bathhouse, the bathrooms, other types of places like that, there are no such pictures. And Rabbi Shu asked Adrian, why is that? And he responded, it's not a kavod hamalchus, it wouldn't be proper respect for the emperor, for me, if it was uh, to have my picture in such degraded places. So the Medrash concludes, Rabbi Yeshua said to him, don't you hear what your own mouth is saying? That's the same reason why Hashem does not have his name in the second set of Luchos, because we are beginning now 
these last five dibros, the second uh, tablet, these are all uh, terrible, embarrassing things and murder and adultery and jealousy and kidnapping, these kind of things. Hashem doesn't want to be associated with such people and therefore in such a subtle way, he doesn't mention his name. Interesting. So it's already, you know, tips the hand, tips our hand, not that we needed it, obviously to the severity of the things, the prohibitions that are listed now on this uh, second tablet, starting with the sixth dibra of murder. And in Halacha and in Hashkafa, and obviously these two are, if not inseparable, but certainly inspire each other, uh, we see the unique severity of Ritzicha, of murder. Two, you know, incredibly important uh, sources which highlight the importance of murder from a halachic perspective. Of course, the first one being the halacha that we're all familiar with from the Sugi in Sanhedrin, that murder is one of the only uh, sins in the Torah, one of the big three, which is in fact, not only is it a capital offense, but you can't even do it to save your life. If, in some hypothetical case, a non-Jew were to say, either you kill someone else or I kill you, the halach is, you have to allow yourself to be killed rather than kill somebody else. So this is already striking because there's only three such halachos in the whole uh, Torah that you're allowed to, that you must give up your life for. But what's particularly striking is unlike the other two, idolatry and sexual immorality, where there are drashot, there are psukim that are used as the source, this is considered a simple svara, the compelling logic of it. After all, says the Gemara, who said your blood is redder than anyone else? Why do you think your life takes precedence over whoever it is that you would kill? And Rashi explains that with most mitzvos, you're allowed to transgress to save your life because we are taught that your life, in anyone's life, is more precious to Hashem than the mitzvah. But in this case, either you're going to die or the person you're going to kill is going to die. Someone is going to die. And therefore, that factor of life being precious to Hashem is no longer relevant. Because someone's going to die no matter what. And now the only question is whether it's you or someone else. And then we're reduced with assuming, if you want to save your life, that your life is more valuable than the other person. And there is no basis on which to make such an assumption. So obviously, that is the single most important source, I guess you could say, that highlights just the unique severity of the prohibition of murder. Another important source is the Rambam in Hilchasisodia Torah in the fifth chapter, requotes the din from a very famous passage in the Talmud Yerushalmi in Masech Trumos of what's known as Tnulanu Echad Mikem. Let's say uh, non-Jews besiege, they surround a Jewish town or city, and they say, listen, we don't want to kill any of you really, we just have one guy we're after. If you send him out, we'll take care of him. But if you don't send him out, we're going to kill all of you. So from a strict, you know, calculus perspective, of course it makes sense. Not only uh, is one death better than a lot of deaths, you would think, but also if you don't send the guy out, he's anyway going to die because they said they're going to kill the whole city and he's in the city. So you haven't even saved his life. That one guy's going to die no matter what. Either you send him out and the, the non-Jews kill him, or he stays in the city, and they burn the whole town down. And yet, despite that fact, the halacha is clear, this is the psak. we do not do that. Even indirectly, to give someone over, in such a direct, you know, indirectly, you're not, you're not killing him, but you're not just, you know, allowing them to take him, so to speak, you're actually handing him over. In fact, that is considered so bad that everyone, not only are you have to die rather than hand the person over, an entire city would have to die, hundreds, thousands of people theoretically, rather than to uh, do that. Really quite an incredible and striking halacha. Another, I would say, more subtle and sensitive area, but 
just worth mentioning very briefly, where you see this importance, is in the discussion about suicide. We know that suicide is prohibited, but it's interesting that there's actually a machlokes achronim, whether suicide is prohibited as an independent prohibition, or is it prohibited as a form of murder, of self-murder. And there were achronim, like the base mayor, who think that in fact suicide is murder. And uh, one of the sources that's brought to, to bolster this idea is a medrash that says that lo sirtzach, here in the Dibros, could be also read lo tit ratzach. You should not cause yourself to be killed, which sounds like the same prohibition of murder is whether you murder someone else or yourself. Now, not everyone agrees to that. The Minchas Chinuch, and already probably in the Me'iri, seems to say, no, it's not murder, it's a bad sin, it's a grievous sin, but it's not murder. But just the fact that there could even be such a discussion, and in fact some opinions that could conclude that it's murder, again, something very striking. From a Hashkafic perspective as well, we have numerous important sources that highlight just how terrible a murder is in such a unique way. Uh, one significant source is the Mishnah in Sanhedrin and Daflam and Zion, where it talks about how when someone, there would be a capital case, and witnesses would come to testify that potentially could frame a person as being guilty uh, you know, through their testimony and potentially have that person be killed by the court. So the Bezdin, before accepting their testimony, would warn them about how severe the consequences are and how they better be telling the truth. And one of the things we do is we tell them, you know, listen, this is not a monetary case where even if you testify falsely, it's a terrible avera, but that could always be rectified. You can always pay the money back. Dini Nefasho says the uh, Mishnah, Damo v'dam zarosav t'luyin v'adsof olam. You can't repay someone's life if you falsely testify and cause them to die. And it's not only them, the Mishnah highlights this a very important idea, which goes back to the story of Cain. Rashi already on Bereshis makes this point that if you kill someone, you not only rob that person of his or her life, but all the future children and descendants that could have come from that person who will never be born now. So do you realize how severe, how severe uh, this prohibition is? Moreover, the Sefer Achinuch and others point out that you are violating God's entire purpose of creating the world. Hashem created the world because He wanted it populated. So by you killing someone, aside from the Ben Amlachavero to the person that you've killed, but it's also in a certain sense of Ben Amlamakom, Hashkafically, if not halachically, because you are negating God's purpose in creating the world. Moreover, Rab Sajigon in his Amunas Videos says it's not just the physical life that you've uh, prematurely ended by murdering someone, Rahman al but you've prevented that person's soul from fully developing. We have whatever amount of years we have in this world, in our human, in our physical body not only to live life, but to use that life to hopefully develop our neshama, to develop our soul. But if a person at whatever age is killed before, quote-unquote, their time, says Reb Sajigon, the heinousness of that is not only the physical robbing of life, but you've robbed the neshama of what should have been a full term of life to perfect uh, itself. The uh, tells the Rosh Hashiva, Rav Avram Bloch, is quoted with making a very interesting and a nice ha'ara, uh, that uh, he asks... Um, why is murder even included in the Aserah Sadebros? Aserah Sadebros were given to the Jewish people as part of the Torah at Sinai, but we know that murder is not something that's unique to the Jewish people. One of the seven Noahide prohibitions, all non-Jews are also prohibited for murdering. So why is murder included here? So Rebloch explained, because murder, the Lotirzach, at least on a deeper level, includes all sorts of other things beyond what we might think of as just murder. The Gemara Bab Metziah famously says that if you embarrass someone in public, it's as if you killed them. Moreover, the Gemara Nivamo says, if you cause them to lose their parnasa, 
is if you've shed blood. And the Gemara and Sota, based on the Psukim about Egla Arufa, say that if you are a host and someone is leaving your house, leaving your town, and you don't provide them with the proper provisions, you don't escort them out of town, and therefore they're very vulnerable to uh, getting killed, you would bear some responsibility of their death. So says Rablok, you see that our halacha of Losirtzach is not the same as a non-Jew. We have all these other ancillary things which are considered so severe because they share some dimension, even loosely, but some dimension of the severity of murder that are included under that uh, umbrella. Just two final points to conclude, and that is Harot, one by one of the Rishonim and one by the Medrash, about the comparison and contrasting between the two sets of Luchos. The Akedah Yitzchak points out that the Luchos are parallel that the first Dibra parallels the sixth Dibra, the second one, the seventh, and on and on. In other words, in each Dibra, right and left, the first of that respective Dibra parallels the other one. So why does Lo Tirzach parallel Ani Hashem? Why does the first Dibra parallel number six? Because just like denying God and not believing in Hashem is the ultimate betrayal in Ben Aram Lamakom, so too, killing is the ultimate betrayal of Ben Aram Lachavero. Last but not least, the Medrash in the Mechilta uh, tells us something also along the same lines, about how each of the tablets uh, correspond to each other, so that Dibra number 6, Lotirzach, is parallel, corresponds to Dibra number 1, and Yashem. And what does that teach us? So something very profound, something we really need to think about. It says that anyone, Rahman al-Islam, who would kill another person, you've impaired and limited the divine image in the world. We mentioned previously that Hashem, as the, from the Sefer HaChinuch that Hashem's plan for the world is it should be populated. But says the Mechilta, it's in a certain sense even more than that. Every person in the world is created with Tzalem Elohim. Every person in the world is a walking image of Hashem. And for you to kill another person, you have diminished and impaired some of the divine light, some of the divine image in this world. Comparable, says the Medrash, is a marshal to a king who had statues and paintings and coins of his likeness throughout his empire. And over time, the various statues got broken and taken down and the paintings were defaced and the coins got dulled. And all the while that the paintings and the coins and the statues and everything was up, there was tremendous kavod for the king. But as these things get broken, diminished, faded, or taken down, then the king loses a certain amount of honor. So too, says the Medrash, if a human being is killed, then that takes away some of Hashem's honor in this world. So on the one hand, it is the paradigmatic, the most severe, Be'eram L'chavero, excuse me, that's why it leads off the second set of Luchos, number six on the left side. On the other hand, as we've seen, there are certain very profound ideas, if not halachically, then at least hashkafically, profound ideas about the sanctity of human life, and therefore to snuff it out in an illicit way to murder another person is in a very deep and profound way also a form of in the sense that you are ruining God's plan for the world and snuffing out and diminishing some of his likeness, some of his kavod in this world.